Hello, and welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. Now would be the time to consult the deity of your choice for wisdom and or mercy as you best see fit. I'm Ian Woodworth, and I'm joined by my co-host James Daly. Today we are going to be wrapping up our fourth and final homebrew showcase character. We are going through the magic items that we have made for our Hobgoblin War Cleric. I'm really excited about this. The Cleric has always been my go-to class, and just getting into the mindset to make a batch of magic items for a cleric and find new and interesting ways to just pull out the bits of the cleric class to exemplify in these magic items is just it's got me a little bit giddy yeah this is a fun class to make items for again the clerics can play so differently and they can do so many different things depending on how you want to rp your cleric what gods they're going to devote themselves to or how they're going to do that so that really gives you a lot of different options to work with I would almost argue that you get a bit more versatility within the clerics than you do even within the wizards because you have the option of going full melee class with some supporting spells and swinging that all the way over to a straight up spell slinger and all gradients between those two extremes. And too, a lot of that depends, again, on how you're going to RP your character versus something that's put in a stat book like the wizards are. You know, we reference different groups and games a bunch. And wow, the shamans are more of a cleric than the priests are from a D&D standpoint, because you can pick either melee or magic or blend the two. So it is a very, very open class. So let's just go ahead and dive right in. All righty. Do you want to go ahead and start? Yeah, I can go ahead and start. So my third level item is a fairly simple little thing. I'm calling it the Band of Divine Will. It's a magic ring. And while attuned, whenever you cast the Bane or Bless spell, you get to roll 2d4 and use the higher roll. That's it. I like that. I like that. That kind of gives you like an advantage on your spell roll. I like that a lot. Yeah, and it skews it. I actually did the math on this, and it actually skews it pretty heavily towards a higher roll. You end up getting a 4... I think it was something like 43.75% of the time. Bane's a 1d4, correct? They're both 1d4. Okay. So yeah, statistically, average would be 2.5. So yeah, you'd want to roll a 3 or a 4. So You end up with a 7 out of 16 chance, whenever you plot everything out, a 7 out of 16 chance to get a 4, as opposed to a 4 out of 16 whenever you're just rolling the die basic it does skew towards that higher end because you're using the higher roll right i like that and if you ever get to use any of your stat nerdism that's always a good day too i got bored at lunch one day and so i just sort of plotted it out yeah that sounds like something i need to do <laughs> <laughs> that's that's it that's all it does okay no i like it it's good it's simple it works well i have no complaints with it at all I was really happy with the simplicity of it whenever I got done with it. I'm like, oh yeah, that'll work. So for my level three item, for my items, I kind of, like we talked about last week, the different aspects of what a cleric or a priest of war would be. I was trying to figure out different ways to do that, how to control a battlefield, ways to become more effective in battle in different things, not necessarily just smashing things. So for that, my level three item I made was the Medallion of the Zealot. This medallion gives you two charges that will grant an extra action on your turn. But you must spend your next short rest in devotion to your deity, and you do not gain any benefits from that short rest at all. Again, it kind of gives you a little extra push. It gives you a chance to, you know, get that pinch attack in or cast that pinch heal spell, whatever you need. 
but then you do have to spend that time in devotion. So it kind of balances things out a little bit. I like things that come at a little bit of a cost. Can you run over the mechanic of what you get from it? So when you activate your medallion, you use it as a reaction and it gives you an extra action on your turn. Okay. And you get two charges to use it. And then once you use the second charge, you have to spend your next short rest and devotion to your deity, and you would not get any benefit from that short rest. Okay. If I remember correctly, when we were discussing this, we were doing it as a, you would get one charge back if you spent your short rest and devotion, and you would get both charges back if you spent an hour during your long rest in devotion. That may have been correct, yeah. Like I said, it's uh, been a little while. It has been a little while. How would you feel about doing it that way? Would that convert your long rest into a short rest? No. I mean, short rest is, I think it's... 30 minutes. Yeah, short rest is 30 minutes to an hour, depending on the table. I think rules is written, it's an hour. But if you spend an hour in devotion on a long rest, that would be considered a downtime activity. And you can do two hours worth of downtime activity and sleep for six hours and still get the benefits of a long rest. I'm okay with that. I don't know. The downtime activities seem few and far between, and I don't think a lot of people use them. I'd almost want to say at that point, you could either use one charge for if you use your short rest, or if you turn your long rest into a short rest, you gain both charges back. I think what we had discussed was if you do your long rest to regain charges, you don't regain hit dice. That's correct. That sounds right. It's slowly coming back to me. We've had a bit of life in between our recording sessions, so it's been a little bit of a time. Yeah, it's been, what, probably close to two months since we started discussing this? Yeah, because this was actually one of the pieces I came up with really early because I was really excited for this Right, item. yeah. Because I'm scrolling back up through whenever we were discussing this on Discord, and we were having the conversation with my magic items on October 1st. And so this yeah. item happened before then, and we're recording on November 16th. So and it's How much it's of this been, conversation is actually it, winding up in the podcast? Well, I don't know. We'll find out. Ha ha. So yeah, that's two months ago. So yeah, that sounds right to how we fleshed that out. I really need to write these things down when I have these ideas. So as we found out, yes, again, I would most likely be the wizard class. Yes, I really, really need a spell book. So let's go ahead and recap. So it's a magical necklace. I'm assuming it requires attunement. Yes. So we have a magical necklace that requires attunement, has two charges. You can spend a reaction to... Basically, it's letting you take an action surge. That's what it yeah, sounds pretty like. Much. Yeah, pretty much. And like I said, initially I wanted to do a full extra round at the end of initiative. We had debated whether or not that would be too much. I'm trying to decide whether or not to make this actually a reaction to activate. Just because the fighter doesn't have to, but also the fighter doesn't get two at third level. Right. They don't get their first one until... Actually, no, they have their first one at second level. But they don't have two action surges early on. Granted, this cleric is going to have to pay possibly pretty dearly in order to keep using it. Right. And that's why when we first talked about it, like I said, I wanted to make it a bonus action to activate it. But then again, you got a full action at the end of the round. And that way also you could cast and physically attack within the same round, theoretically, with it. Yeah, I think, do we want to make it a bonus action or do we want to make it a reaction? Personally, for me, I'd make it a bonus action. That way you could still use one of your attacks. Because that was the point of it, was it was going to give you an extra attack and then you could cast an emergency spell or make an extra attack with your character in that round. 
So bonus action activate to take an extra action on your turn. No, it would be a full extra turn at the end of the initiative round. All right, so then why are we spending a bonus action to get an extra turn not on your turn? It would still be on your turn, so you'd get two turns in the round, basically. But you would end up having a break between your two turns if you're not at the bottom of the initiative order. Then we can just put them back to back then. I would almost prefer to do it as a straight up, when you roll initiative, you can blow a charge. And if you blow a charge, then you go ahead and get your second full turn at initiative one. So that would be at the very bottom of the initiative order on the first turn. I could see that. I was thinking this more as an emergency button, but that works too as a preemptive type attack. And I could work with that. The thing I'm trying to figure out here is I don't want to give them a whole turn as an emergency button. I'm okay with giving them an action as an emergency button. Then we can make the caveat that if they get the action, they can attack or cast a spell in the action. Because again, I want to give them that flexibility. Oh yeah, that's, I mean, with action surge, action surge doesn't require you to attack. So action surge just gives you another action and you can do with it what you will. And I did want to make this a reaction versus a bonus action because also the cleric does have things like their spiritual weapon, which they use as their bonus action, which is a fairly large component in the cleric on the field. So we're going to say as a reaction, you can immediately take an action. Yes. All right. Yeah. I think we have a winner here now. Yay! So so we have a necklace that requires attunement, has two charges. As a reaction, you can spend one charge and immediately take an action. So that would be use an item, cast a spell, make a melee attack, dash, disengage. Using disengage isn't really going to work as a reaction because you won't have any movement on top of that. But being able to dash as a reaction, that could be really helpful. So yeah, I think that'll work. And then you can spend your short rest in meditation, not be able to recover hit points through hit dice in order to regain one charge on the necklace. Or if you spend if you spend time during your long rest, don't recover any spent hit dice you can recover two charges on a long rest. Correct. I think that's got it. I think we've finally got this ironed out. Awesome. I like that. I really do. It is actually a really potent panic button. Right. And that's kind of, like I said, when you have a cleric on the war field, you know, that's kind of how I was viewing that. They can attack. Again, it gives them that flexibility, but it gives them that, oh crap, we need God now. So James, do you want to go ahead and dive into your level 11 item? Yeah, so again, for my cleric's items, I was wanting to think of what a war cleric would do, how they would be on the field. And I wanted this next item to have some on-the-field uses as well as some non-combat uses. So what I came up with was the vestments of the Inquisitor. This is going to be some ornate cloth, ornate garb, with a very ornate breastplate. So people see this and they pretty much drop bricks. So it's going to be a plus one breastplate. Once per short rest, you can use the breastplate to inflict the frightened status on any target. And once per long rest, you can cast Zone of Truth. Okay, are we going to be putting a... What DC are we going to be putting on those abilities? It would tie to the caster level. Okay, so it would actually go off of the spell save DC. Yes. Okay. I mean, you don't typically have magic items that pull off of the wearer's spell save DC, but, I mean, we could do that. 
I don't see a reason why it wouldn't work. And I mean, that's the magic of homebrew, right? It is. I would almost, going back to the talk that we did on the Yonti Malison, the initial poison that they get on their bite attack, whenever we made their bite attack, theirs was 10 plus their con modifier, I think it was. And we could do something like that and do this as, say, 10 plus their charisma modifier or 10 oh. plus their wisdom modifier. At that case, it would definitely tie to charisma. Yeah, I was thinking more charisma, too. Because, again, this is you walk in and you have a physical presence. You have some sort of renown or there's rumors about you. You know, if Takamata walked in the room in the middle of, you know, medieval Spain, he knew something was going down. It was that kind of thing. Right. I'm okay with having it scale purely off of your charisma modifier yeah i'm good with that so the save dc is going to be 10 plus your charisma modifier for both of these abilities what's the range is it just going to be basically casting the fear spell is there a fear spell i can't remember there is a fear spell it is a 30 foot cone starting from you yeah i think 30 foot radius is perfectly acceptable well a 30 foot cone so do you want it just you know once per short rest you can cast fear let me look at the spell real quick it's a third level illusion spell. One action to cast, concentration for up to one minute. Each creature in a 30-foot cone must succeed in a wisdom saving throw or drop whatever it is holding and become frightened for the duration. While frightened, the creature must take the dash action to move away from you in the safest available route on each of its turns unless there is nowhere to move. If a creature ends its turn in a location where it doesn't have line of sight to you, the creature can make a wisdom saving throw on a successful save. The spell ends for that creature. That sounds good, but I don't like the fact that the area of effect, I wanted this to specifically hit one target. So that's why I was thinking within 30 feet would be fine, and you pick, you're scared. Okay, so designate a target within 30 feet, a single target. And is it still going to be a one minute duration, one minute or until they break line of sight and save? Yeah, I think I'm okay with one minute. That sounds good. It's just enough to turn and control the battlefield for a little bit. So yeah, I wanted this just to have some effect of battlefield control, a little bit of crowd control. So again, picking a target and kind of taking it out of the fight for a little bit of time so you could focus fire on something else. If someone's getting pummeled, it'll give you a chance to kind of direct some attention off of them and kind of save a part member in a flinch. Yeah, and it gives you an effect similar to your turn undead that you can use on anything that is not immune to being frightened. I think that this will work. I think that this fits pretty good. Is that, that all we got? That's it. Again, so, short so, and simple. So we got a plus one breastplate. Once per short rest, you can frighten a single target within 30 feet. And once per long rest, you can cast Zone of Truth. The save DC on those is 10 plus your charisma modifier. Exactly. Okay, sounds good. All right, so my level 11 item is a mace. James and I were of a similar idea when it came to the level 11 items because he had also made a weapon before we decided to go to the armor. My level 11 item is called the Cudgel of Rebuke. So it's a plus one magical mace. And if a creature has dealt damage to you since the end of your last turn, it becomes a plus three mace against that creature. And additionally, if that creature happens to be a humanoid, if you hit them with the mace while it's a plus three, they have to succeed on a DC 12 wisdom saving throw or become frightened of you until the start of your next turn. And if they succeed on that saving throw, they are immune to being frightened by the weapon for 24 hours. So we call this the no you mace. No, I like this. We were kind of on the same bit on this one with our level 11 items. So that makes me feel 
really good that that's something that we definitely needed uh, to throw in and work on. I just, or we spent too much time together, either way. Yeah. I just, I've always associated the frightened condition with clerics, the fear of God, you know? I know that fear itself is an illusion spell, and so it is a uh, wizard staple, but I've always associated fear effects with, you know, fire and brimstone preacher clerics. And especially since you get turn undead, which literally puts the fear of God into these undead creatures and they flee from you. And we we had discussed at length that boosting it to a plus three. And I know that you were you were hesitant to let me have that early on. You early you, on when we paired it back to limit it towards just the target versus it just became a plus three for the round or for there was a time where you wanted to make it just a solid plus three, I thought, or at least that's how I understood what you're yeah, thinking. I think that was just a miscommunication because I had always had it been, it's only a plus three against creatures that have hit you since the end of your last turn. Right. My issue with that was if you have a bunch of kobolds or sprites or something like that and you get hit by like six different things, then you could just go and start doing a spinny spin with your mace and start smashing everything up. Well, you can't really do that because, you know, we're only getting one attack per round with this 1d6 weapon. So it becomes a 1d6 plus three with an extra plus three on your attack roll. So yeah, it's more likely to hit and it's going to hit a little bit harder. But if you compare that to say, your spiritual weapon. Spiritual weapon base damage is 1d8. It's going to use your wisdom modifier instead of your strength modifier for damage, which, in most cases for a cleric, your wisdom score is going to be higher because that's your primary spellcasting ability. And you can upcast your spiritual weapon to increase its damage by plus 1d8 per level or plus 1d8 per two levels up to a maximum of 5d8. If I'm remembering correctly. I don't recall being able to upcast your spiritual weapon. Oh yeah, you can upcast spiritual weapon. Let me pull that up. Spiritual weapon at higher levels. If you cast this spell using a spell slot of third level or higher, the damage increases by 1d8 for each two spell slots over second. So At what level is that? It's a second level spell. So if you cast it as a fourth level, it becomes 2d8. Sixth level is a 3d8. Eighth level is a 4d8. So it caps out as a 48 if you want to spend an 8th level spell slot to cast it. Frankly, I would not spend an 8th level spell slot to cast Spiritual Weapon, but... Again, if you're using it in a bottleneck, and particularly at a higher level, that could be a real big help. It depends on how and when you want to use that. Yeah, but I mean, you get things like Anti-Magic Field and Earthquake at 8th level as a cleric. So Depending what you need. Now, I know as a plus three, we're considering that a magic weapon as well, correct? It is a magic weapon, yes. It is a base plus one magic mace. And the upgraded version only triggers if a creature deals damage to you. I had originally done if they successfully hit you with a weapon or spell attack. And I intentionally dialed that back to deals damage to you so that things like status effect spells won't trigger it. That seems reasonable. So if the enemy cleric hits you with Bane, you don't get a plus three. It's still just a plus one mace. A standard, bog standard plus one mace. But when that little wizard hits you with a a fireball, he rolls a one on. If he hits you for one damage with a firebolt, yeah, he's going to have a bad day. All right, so I think that's the end of our level 11 items. Do you want to go first on the level 20 or do you want me to go first? I'll let you go ahead and go first. Okay. So my level 20 item, I'm calling it the Aegis of Retribution. It's a legendary 
magic shield requires attunement by a cleric or a paladin. It provides a plus four bonus to AC, so it's effectively a plus two magic shield. And while attuned, you have resistance to psychic damage and advantage on saving throws against charm effects. And the big fun trigger ability is if a creature you can see within 30 feet of you takes damage, you may use your reaction to redirect the damage to yourself. All other effects, such as conditions, are still applied to the original target. This damage cannot be mitigated or redirected. So if you redirect it to you, you're taking all of it. You gain a shield of divine energy equal to half the damage taken, which functions as temporary hit points. You may not use this ability again while the barrier is active. While the barrier is active, whenever a creature within 10 feet of you hits you with a weapon or spell attack, that creature immediately takes radiant damage equal to your wisdom score. I like this a lot. I mean, you have the potential, especially because this will trigger on spells that don't deal damage. Because it's whenever they hit you with a weapon or spell attack. So they hit you, they're going to take a big chunk of radiant damage. Because at level 20, this cleric is going to have 20 wisdom. So they hit you, they take 20 radiant damage. Boom. While the barrier is active. And that plays into the whole self-sacrificing man of God sort of thing. The medic that charges out into the line of fire to drag someone back behind the lines. That's the sort of thing that I'm looking at with this. Right, it's not full martyrdom, but it's definitely... It is definitely a self-sacrifice. Yes, but that's what I'm going for. There we go. And yeah, so I like that. So that feels right for a cleric. It is still a very martial feel to it. It's still, you know... Throw yourself in harm's way to save your comrades. And then deal some damage. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. We're going to go full-on Audie Murphy here. Do you have anything that, any comments that you would like to add on this? No, I think that's a fairly well-rounded item. I like how it sounds. I think I like how that plays. It gives you a bit of RP. You could throw some lore in there. I think that is a really solid item that you came up with. It's not terribly fancy. It's not clunky. Yeah, I've got nothing to, to add to that one. All right, so with that out of the way, James, you want to go ahead into your 20th level item? Yeah, so I don't have a name for this item yet because this is where my naming abilities completely failed on me. But I wanted my level 20th item to be something profound, something that when you use the earth shakes around you. I wanted this to be one of those big moments in the game where everyone just kind of stops and stares. So what I came up with was a medallion that you need to take around in combat, focusing in devotion to your god. When you use this in combat, you have to spend a round in devotion, and then after that round in combat and devotion, you become the avatar of Meglubia. What this will do is it'll give all of your party members a plus two to AC. They'll heal one hit die. Your strength and your dex will go to 20, but you cannot cast any spells while you're in this avatar state. You will be armed with two longswords, and on your activation, you will cast Firestorm. And you'll be in the state for one hour. At the end of the hour, you'll gain 1d4 exhaustion levels. Okay. So, I have a couple of issues. Okay. Because this is very similar in feel to the capstone ability that paladins get for their oath. That's the angelic oath to a point I think you're talking about? Well, Oath of Vengeance gets the Avenging Angel, which does that, but Oath of Ancients gets Elder Champion, which you take the form of an ancient force of nature. It is a transformation ability where you become an avatar of your core concept. 
I'll have to look those up because I am not terribly familiar with those. All right, so I'll go ahead. I've got the Oath of Vengeance one in front of me. At 20th level, you can assume the form of an angelic avenger. Using your action, you undergo a transformation. For one hour, you gain the following benefits. Wings sprout from your back and grant you a flying speed of 60 feet. You emanate an aura of menace in a 30-foot radius. The first time any enemy creature enters the aura or starts its turn there during a battle, the creature must succeed on a wisdom saving throw or become frightened of you for one minute or until it takes any damage. Attack rolls against the frightened creature have advantage. Once you use this feature, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest. So this one in particular, you gain wings and a fly speed, and you have a 30-foot fear aura. Okay, that's it's close. I mean, so for the cleric giving everyone extra armor, a small quick kill burst, and obviously just a large battlefield spell for the transformation. After that, you go into a fully physical state. For a 20th level item, I don't think is too far off the pale. Plus, you'll be gaining those exhaustion levels at the end of it. See, I don't like giving the exhaustion levels at the end of it. Really? Okay. Exhaustion is really, really rough in 5th edition. And I don't like just handing it out willy-nilly. It's one of my big complaints about the Berserker Barbarian, where you go into your Frenzied Rage, and at the end of your Frenzied Rage you get a level of exhaustion, because it means that you can really only go into a Frenzied Rage once a day, or you're going to really just... Eventually you're just going to drop dead from exhaustion. Well, depending on how you rest and use your rest. But that's kind of the point, too, is you want... Well, that it's, you only get to remove one level of exhaustion after finishing a long rest. So if you roll a four on this item and you get four levels of exhaustion, you're going to have disadvantage on all of your attack rolls and ability checks. You're going to have disadvantage on your saving throws, I think, because that's three levels. You're going to have half movement speed. I can't remember what level four exhaustion is. It's half your hit points. Yeah, it's mean. It's nasty. And so, you know, maybe if this was a you can cast it once a week. But even then, I don't I don't really want to do it that way. Yeah, Um, I didn't want to do it that way either. But I didn't want you to cast it willy nilly. I wanted this to when you cast this, it is a big event. And I realize this is a paladin thing and not a cleric thing. But the paladin gets to do this once a day. Right, though you do get considerably more with this than the paladins get with there. Because the party gains two AC, the party gal gains one hit die and a quick heal, and there was a battlefield casting. Plus you also max out your strength and dex. Right, but the other thing was the whole dual longswords. We're not doing a two-weapon fighting cleric. As the avatar, you would get that, or in your avatar state. Well, are we going to be giving them the two-weapon fighting fighting style on top of all of this? Because if, For the if cost we, of some exhaustion, I'd say yeah. Because if we don't, then they're not going to be able to add that plus five from their strength to their offhand attack. Then yeah, I would definitely want to throw on the two-weapon fighting with that as well. Particularly since we're limiting them and not letting them cast any spells while as an active avatar. Yeah, I'm, I don't know about that because I don't like the concept of giving our one person with healing spells an item that doesn't let them cast healing spells for an hour okay fair enough i'm good with the aura that gives you plus two ac i would just going off and using the paladin as a template to pull from do it as a 30 foot radius allies within the 30 foot radius get a plus two bonus to their ac and 
allies who are within 30 feet whenever you activate it get the one hit die healing yeah or even if we want to just streamline it a little bit let's say gain temporary hit points equal to their character level that would be pretty big i mean that would give them 20 temporary hit points when you activate it and that is something big and meaningful that they can get right off the bat okay let's go instead of the two long swords and the strength and dex maxed to 20 let's go ahead and add plus four to hit and damage and spell attack rolls and save dcs Mm -hmm. so plus four to attack rolls damage rolls and spell save dc yeah plus four to spell save dc is pretty freaking huge Plus I mean, two to spell spell DC? I mean, because that would give them a DC 23. Well, if you're the walking embodiment of a god on the battlefield, you shouldn't be able to shrug off a god's spell too terribly easy, I, I would imagine. I, I understand where you're coming from with that, but mm, it's a bit of a conundrum. Round everything down to plus three? I'm thinking... He's not feeling it. I'm good with the plus four on attack rolls and damage rolls. It's futzing with that spell save DC that's getting me. Because... When you get to the higher level cleric spells, there aren't as many spells that require a spell save as there are ones that require an attack roll. I okay, think let's go. I, I could be four. wrong. I've uh, not a lot of your well, actually, let me double. I mean, a lot of your high level cleric spells don't actually attack anything. Your ninth level, you get astral projection, gate, mass heal, and true resurrection per the player's handbook, and then. 8th level get Anti-Magic Field, Control Weather, Earthquake, and Holy Aura. I think Earthquake might have a spell save, but... Let's go ahead and do plus 4 attack, plus 4 damage, and plus 4 spell damage. I'm just saying, you know, plus 4 on all attack and damage rolls, so that would be weapon attacks, spell attacks. Okay, and your heals as well. So if you did a mass heal, then you'd also get the plus 4 on your heal. So plus 4 on spell effect. Do you want to do... Plus four on that? Or plus three? I think a plus four will probably be all right. All right. And we'll go and we will do just one level of exhaustion flat. Okay. So you'll take a long rest to balance out. And I'm I'm wanting to leave Firestorm on there. Yes, absolutely. Trying to find it here because despite all of my clericking, I've never actually gotten to a point where I can cast seventh, eighth, ninth level spells. So see here. Area of the storm consists of up to 10 10-foot cubes, which you can arrange as you wish. Each cube must have at least one face adjacent to the face of another cube. Each creature in the area must make a dex save. It takes 70 10 fire damage on a failed save, half as much damage on a successful one. Okay, that is mean. Well, I mean, you're a fiery battle god. Do we want to say that the bonus damage is fire damage? Or is it just going to be bonus damage... Of the type of the action. Yeah, let's go ahead and make it fire damage. Okay, so fire or radiant? Because we are talking about the avatar of a god. Ooh, radiant damage is pretty and doesn't get used a whole lot. Yeah, and fewer things resist it. Right. You want to go ahead and go for radiant then? Yeah, we can do that. So we have a medallion that when you activate it, you become the avatar of the hobgoblin war god. So you have a 30-foot aura where all allies within the aura get a plus two bonus to AC. All allies within 30 feet whenever you pop the aura gain temporary hit points equal to their character level. And you cast Firestorm. Yes. And while it's active, your attack rolls 
damage rolls, and healing are all increased by four. Yes, and the bonus damage is radiant damage. Yes. Okay, that's that's big and mean, and I like it. At the end of it, you do gain one, one level, level of exhaustion. Yeah, because that's going to tire anybody out. Are we going to change their size? I kind of want to make them large. I kind of want to make them swole and make them large. I like that. I'm trying to think. Yeah, let's go ahead and do it. I mean, just basically the effects of the enlarge spell. And we can forego actually adding the bonuses that you would get for the enlarge spell because we are adding the bonus to attack and damage rolls. So we'll just gain large size. Yeah, you become large sized. Okay. Wow, that was a uh, that was an endeavor. That was a journey. Uh, but I think that the final product is good. I am happy with the final product on that one. Okay. And we now have our we now have a barking dog. We now have another barking dog, or the same dog barking again. We now have our characters rolled up and equipped. Yeah, I'm happy about this. I am excited to see how these guys run once we get them yeah. together. So yeah, I'm really excited about the showcase, and I'm really. Excited to see how all this rolls out. So we're going to have a little bit more information about the upcoming showcase probably next week. And after that should be our first showcase episode. So where we'll actually start playtesting these with some one-off campaigns. I don't know if we're going to be getting to it that quick because we are going to have to take the time to actually find players. But we will be having our first showcase episode pretty soon. I don't want to commit a date to it yet until we actually get a roster of who's going to be in it. That's understandable. Okay. We are still going to have to figure out what we're going to be doing in next episode, because as it is right now, we've got our homebrew showcase done, and we still need to figure out what we're doing. Well, we've been going with the pattern of doing a rolling out our character and then working on some world building, DMing, and roleplay techniques. So I think along those lines, we should probably keep with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. So I think we're probably going to work on some roleplaying. You had talked about how to actually roll a character with character yeah um talk about how to make characters with meaningful ideals traits and flaws that's something that i actually am doing professionally now i work as an editor for a small independent publisher so that's something that i work with is making characters with character as james said making sure that their flaws actually inhibit them in some way and they have to figure out ways to overcome them because you can give anybody a really trivial flaw that'll never come up but it takes it takes a certain amount of i don't even know what i'm where i'm going with this in order to make a meaningful character with meaningful flaws you have to assess potential situations and figure out a flaw that you are actually going to have to deal with, at least on a semi-regular basis. Right. And whether you're a DM or a player character at the table, these type of flaws or these touches add a lot to the story. And again, it has a lot to do with that immersion into the game. It gives a chance for the players to be the actual character versus a person at the table. So this goes a long way into improving the quality of a game. Yeah, so I think I like that is the suggestion. I think we can do that. I think we can do characters with character. So I think that'll be our next episode, characters with character. Awesome. So we'll see you all next week. Feel free to uh, send comments to us under commentaste at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. If you enjoy our podcasts, like, subscribe, add some comments. That'd be great. Thank you for joining us for the Undercommon Taste podcast. If you enjoyed it, please pass it along to your friends. You can find our past episodes hosted on Podbean 
and available through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. New episodes go live on Wednesdays, and the write-ups for our homebrewed content are published on Fridays. Join us on Facebook or Instagram at Undercommon Taste, or on Twitter under the handle at UCT Homebrew. Links to all of our content can be found on these platforms. If you have comments, corrections, suggestions, or ideas, please send them to us at undercommontaste at gmail.com. If we like your idea, it may make it into a future episode. Our theme music is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find Mary online at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmarycrowell. Again, thank you for listening and stay safe. You'll hear from us again soon.